Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder. You know, we're going to be talking about the good stuff, the stuff that we want to hear, you know, the building, scaling, financing, you know, all, all of that good stuff. We're going to be talking about today equity, equity versus debt, uh, you know, also private equity, private equity going into startups. So I find that you're all going to find the episode today quite inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Don Muir. Welcome to the show pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So originally born there, you know, and, and you grew up there in the in the Massachusetts area, not far away from Boston. So how was life growing up? Give us a walk through memory lane. Yeah, definitely. Uh, bounced around a little bit as a as a kid. Grew up uh, born in the greater Boston area. Uh, moved to Rhode Island for about a decade for my dad's job. And then uh, moved back to Boston to go to the same public high school as as my mom and uh, my grandparents who uh, who immigrated to the U.S. in their teens. So I, I, that has to be, you know, quite inspiring for you to, to to really learn, you know, from your from your grandparents, because, you know, the immigrant stories, they're like quite unique. I mean, I'm an immigrant myself, so really understand, you know, what what that looks like. But uh, I'm sure that for you, you know, being able to hear how they were able to to come here to really make it happen for themselves and for the family, I'm sure that that has shaped who you are today? I grew up very, very close with my grandparents. They immigrated to the U.S. in their teens, didn't speak any English, uh, faced anti-immigrant discrimination, shared that story with me uh, from, a, from a very young age, my grandfather in, in particular. Uh, he went to uh, public high school in the hometown that the same town that I grew up in and went to the, the same public went through the same public school system as him. Um, so I got to I got to relive that uh, firsthand. And, and he would share stories with me. Um, he went to this school. Uh, he didn't speak any English. He ended up enlisting in the army and uh, in, in fighting in World War Two, uh, landing in, in D-Day and and uh, and dredging through uh, France during uh during World War II to earn his stripes to prove that he was American. He came back penniless, no education, uh, and and started tailoring, a tailoring business, uh, with the support of uh his his immigrant wife. They bootstrapped this business and had a fair degree of success. And sharing that journey with me just really put things in perspective at a very young age and was part of the inspiration for starting uh, my own entrepreneurial career. I mean, you know, obviously by learning from their own story, you know, that uh, anything probably with hard work and dedication is is possible in this life. So did you perhaps, you know, like after like listening to those stories, did you, were you like clear that eventually one day you would have something of your own? I always have been passionate about entrepreneurship. My grandfather was definitely the source of that inspiration. I had a competing interest in finance. I started investing and day trading at a very young age in my teens. I just really enjoyed understanding businesses and, and pick, you know, trying to pick winners uh, in, in my teens. I didn't know what I was doing at the time, uh, but I had this competing passion for both finance and entrepreneurship uh, starting in my early teens, I'd say, you know, 10, 10 to 13 years old. 
Yeah, I, I mean, you were you were day trading at about 15 years old. So what were you doing? How were how were you <laughs> there like moving money, buying and, and selling? Yeah, I I think it was Scott Trade or or E Trade is one of the the early movers in in uh, in the digital trading space. I managed to convince my mom to open an account for me under her name, uh, and I took I took uh, some of the cash I I made from my early you know my earliest jobs and would invest it in the stock market through her account. Um, I would research companies. It was brands you know that I was familiar with at the time that I thought were uh, had had a lot of momentum in the market. Some of them ended up doing okay, but. I, it inspired me to, to pursue uh, finance uh, as an undergrad uh, and, and later to work in, in private equity in New York. And, you know, eventually, uh, you know, to this day, working in a, at a fintech company. So let's talk about, you know, let's say, let's talk about then, you know, going into Cornell, because in Cornell there you did study finance and strategy. And uh, also, you know, you got a, a taste of uh, starting something, you know, you, you even got, you know, uh, Put together there a non for profit is that right yeah even at, at cornell i had this competing interest in building something of my own and pursuing finance which was kind of the, the cookie cutter path out of cornell i think cornell was one of the the top feeders into the the big bulge bracket investment banks and so i studied finance but then outside of the classroom uh, i did whatever i could to roll up my sleeves and actually you know build myself i started a, a 501c3 at Cornell, that's now one of the largest organizations on campus. Um, that was uh, that was mission driven with the intent of of um, of giving back to the community, and and now uh, that's a vibrant student organization. Um, at the same time, in the classroom, I was taking every finance class that I could I could uh, I could get into, and um, at graduation, I had a, a, a tough decision around whether I'd pursue my interest in in operations and building and entrepreneurship, or or to work um, on Wall Street in investment banking. Eventually, you ended up uh, joining the Boston Consulting Group. And uh, one of the things uh, about people that go into consulting, you know, I guess some of the best entrepreneurs, you know, they've had some either experience at a previous startup, either they were in private equity or VC or consulting, right? I find that those uh, different segments, they just, they just prepare your mindset for dealing and tackling, you know, uh, whatever you have in front of you. In this case, consulting, to a certain degree, it helps you to grab big problems, Break them, break them down into smaller problems, and then you know start tackling one after the other. In this case, for you, how do you think that the world of consulting, you know, helped you to be a better entrepreneur? You hit the nail on the head. It's strategy and problem solving. I got my first taste of of operations and understanding how businesses tick. That experience was invaluable when I ultimately, you know, later went on to to work in in private equity. Um, but the ability to take a large and nebulous problem, to uh, break it down into its constituent parts, and then tackle those individual elements, solve them, and then put the puzzle back together to solve that overarching issue or that problem at hand, that skill set uh, has been invaluable in my entrepreneurial journey. And um, it's really paid dividends at, at ARC, particularly in, in recent months, uh, given how much dislocation we faced in the in the startup banking ecosystem, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But you know, while you were there at BCG, definitely you uh, got the glimpse of private equity, and you decided to switch gears. So why? Yeah, so uh, I spent most of my time at BCG working in operations, working in strategy at you know hundred plus billion dollar publicly traded companies. Uh, the residual I spent working on the private equity team, doing commercial due diligence for the largest PE funds in the U.S. 
that's where I really rekindled my interest in finance and investing. And I, I, needed, to, I needed to take the next step. So I left BCG to join uh, one of the largest private equity funds in the world it's called Onyx Partners. It's publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. I was in the New York office and, um, and I joined Onyx specifically because they are, or they were, uh, value investors. They would find uh, uh, businesses that were generating a relatively high uh, percentage of you know, levered free cash flow relative to, to valuation. And uh, we would buy cash flow and we would analyze the, the underlying fundamentals and growth of these companies and make our investment decisions, not based on you know, hype or, or, or FOMO uh, or who's on the cap table, but based on uh, business uh, fundamentals and, and, uh, and durability. And so I really got my finance toolkit. I built that finance toolkit and that ownership mentality during those years working on the investment team at, at Onyx Partners in New York. So value investing, I mean, I guess for the people that are listening, you know, I guess that's the mentality uh, of Benjamin Graham, I believe, you know, who is the, um, you know, who, who, who really came out of that was Warren Buffett following that type of um, uh, thinking or thought process when making investments. But I guess in this, in this situation, you know, from a private equity perspective, when you were looking at the value investing, what kind of patterns did you see from companies that deserved an investment because of that long-term potential versus those that didn't? Yeah, we, we look for uh, the ability to generate cash, expand margins, uh, grow, defensibility uh, of, of those businesses. So we would look for uh, a moat. Uh, we would look for stable uh, margins with the opportunity to expand those margins over time. What, what, what's really interesting is unlike my my peers uh, who come from investment banking backgrounds, uh, I had an appreciation for what it takes to actually expand gross profit margins by 50 basis points, right? It, it, means, it means renegotiating contracts with vendors to drive down COGS on a unit basis. I actually built that, that skill set uh, at BCG, right? Working alongside the management team at a retailer, renegotiating uh, vendor contracts. Moving over to, to Onyx, I could go in and understand uh, what makes the model work and what makes a business model defensible, where there's opportunity to, uh, to drive EBITDA margin expansion or outsized revenue growth, understand a competitive landscape, um, pricing discipline within uh, a narrow competitive set. All of these uh, fundamental drivers of uh, a business's growth and profitability uh, the understanding or appreciation was unlocked from the time of management consulting. The actual finance and investing toolkit was built during the time at Onyx. And those, those skill sets combined really did a great job preparing me for uh, the issues that I'm facing today in my, in my role at ARC. So, so it sounds like you were having fun doing this private equity at, at Onyx. So why shifting gears? Why did you go and, and, and put a pause and go out and study at Stanford? The MBA. I jumped on a plane and flew to, to Palo Alto, where uh, I stepped foot on the campus. And for the first time in my life, uh, I was inundated in this uh, entrepreneurial environment that I had never seen before on the East Coast. My entire professional and academic career prior to going to Stanford uh, revolved around finance and investing. Um, that was certainly not the case at Stanford. 
working in private equity wasn't cool. Going into investment banking is not what students did after graduating from the GSB. My peers at Stanford I wanted to start companies or work at big tech companies or, or startups. And that was a completely foreign concept to me at the time. And how did, you know, everything, because I mean, it, it, it took a turn here, your, your career. I mean, you went from the corporate, you know, kind of thinking or the corporate kind of path. All of a sudden, you know, you find yourself launching your own company. So what were those sequence of events that needed to happen in order for you to be able to bring ARC to life? Yeah. So uh, first of all, I met my co-founders at the GSB, and that was a huge unlock. Um, my One of my co-founders lived across the hall from me uh, uh, at Stanford, and we became close friends. And he was working on a different startup idea at the time. Uh, my second co-founder, Raven, he, he went to Stanford CS for undergrad. He worked as a software engineer at Facebook and Tesla and and was technical lead at a at a, a venture Series B venture back startup uh, before going back to the GSB. He was advising every startup in my class. So uh, when I met James Currier, the founder of NFX, when I was on campus through uh, through a, a mutual connection, another startup founder who introduced us, uh, everything kind of came together. I had this competing interest in in finance and entrepreneurship. I had met my two co-founders at the time, and I had this idea. I had this thesis that the founders in the ecosystem around me who I had met during my time on campus, they were being underserved by the traditional financial services market participants that I worked so closely with in my prior life in New York. I saw that the startup founders, even the CFOs, they didn't have the same, uh, the same resources that were available to the private equity-backed businesses that I worked with who had uh, who ran auction processes against the largest investment banks and commercial banks in, in New York for every financing transaction. And so my unique insight was that there was this gap in the market and all the pieces were there around me. My founders, engineer, my co-founders, engineers to bring on the team, and of course, sources of capital and advisors like James at NFX who came in early and believed in me and my vision to disrupt traditional financial services. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of, either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, 
feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. And by the way, for those that are listening that would like to hear more about NFX, we had Pete Flint, the co-founder there of NFX, you know, not long ago here on the podcast as well. So that was a great episode. So I guess in this case, for the people that are listening, ARC, you know, what is ARC? Can you give us the business model? How do you guys make money? ARC's a digital bank and we're targeting the tech ecosystem. So what does a bank do? A bank lends and stores cash. So those are our two products. Uh, we have a vertically integrated uh, lending business, uh, which we call Arc Advance. Uh, within days, a customer can convert its future revenue streams into upfront capital at the click of a button and then deposit those funds into a digitally native bank account, which brings me to my next product, um, Arc Cash. Uh, we have a robust cash management service where you have maximum FDIC, SIPC coverage, and you can invest directly in T-bills, money market funds, insured cash suite programs, effectively uh, guaranteeing 100% of your bank deposit while maximizing yields up to 5% APY on that idle cash. So like a traditional bank, we offer both funding and cash management services. Unlike a traditional bank, it's digitally native. We have a slick UI, UX, um, and it's fully self-serve. So a tech founder, CEO, or CFO can log in, um, initiate a wire, issue cards to their team, access capital, and deploy idle cash across FDIC-backed high-yield bank account products. That's incredible. Um, obviously, you know, like very relevant, and we'll talk about, you know, some of the issues that are happening nowadays that, uh, you know, are definitely fueling your guys' growth. Now, one thing here that, um, that I think will be interesting is how much capital have you guys raised to date? Because you've raised quite a bit on the debt side and then also equity side. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we've raised uh, during the seed round $11 million uh, led by NFX and Bain Capital and Y Combinator and others. Uh, alongside that round, I raised a $150 million revolving credit facility from a multi-billion dollar hedge fund. Um, that's my source of capital for the lending business. Uh, most recently, I also raised a $20 million Series A led by Left Lane Capital out of New York. So $31 million of equity, another $150 million of credit. That's incredible. Now, how do you go about debt versus equity on a business like this? In terms of fundraising or in terms of, of uh, operations? Like, why would you raise debt money and, and, and also equity? I mean, what's the purpose of both for a yeah. company like this? Great question. So for all companies, equity is the most expensive form of financing. Um, equity, assuming that you intend for your business to 3x, 5x, 10x, 100x over time, which every venture-backed founder aspires to do, equity is your, by far your most expensive uh, form of capital. With ARC, because we have this lending business, I couldn't afford to give away my equity dollars uh, with the hope of, of getting it back from, from customers for the lending business. So I went out and raised a much larger pool of capital from professional credit investors at a much lower cost. And so we'll pay interest expense on that debt, and then we'll, we'll lend it to our customers at a slightly higher rate. And uh, the delta is my revenue. The equity dollars, meanwhile, I'm using to actually... Uh, invest in R&D, invest in long-term, long payback uh, ROI uh, initiatives at the company. And so uh, the equity dollars, which are more expensive, I'll deploy across higher NPV uh, uh, capital projects, such as 
hiring engineers, uh, building software, building platform value for the company. Meanwhile, the credit facility will use to generate revenue uh, in, the, in the immediate term uh, and to acquire customers and bring them into the banking business. So, I mean, it's, it's incredible because you guys have raised the $150 million on the debt side and then also the $31 million on the equity side. Now, on the equity side, you know, like you were, you were talking about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible the, the amounts that we're talking about here because on the seed round, you guys raised $11 million and then also on the A round, you raised $20 million, both rounds, you know, above the typical seed or series A that you would see. So, how did you guys go like about storytelling with those investors to be able to, you know, kind of like show them where you were today, where you wanted to be and how you're how you were planning to get there? The vision has been clear to me from the very beginning. And for investors who are aligned with that vision, it's clear that this is a multi-billion dollar market opportunity. You look at the public comps, uh, the large publicly traded financial institutions. Uh, they are all offline. They are not tech savvy. These are this is hundreds of billions of dollars of market capitalization in the U.S. tied up by J.P. Morgan Chase and Citigroup and Wells Fargo and Bank of America and formerly Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank. These product and user experiences underserve the tech economy, and I saw that early. I saw that. Um, because I worked at these, I worked at these financial service uh, institutions that I am now disrupting. Um, what I realized that the unique insight was that startup founders and their operating teams, so their CFOs, their heads of finance, their FP&A analysts, they expect and quite frankly deserve uh, a finance stack that keeps pace with their business. They expect a consumer grade, frictionless intuitive product experience on the front end and access to capital um, that, you, that you would get, that you, that you should get with a traditional offline financial institution. Because Arc is software first, it's software-driven business, uh, we can provide a very customized product-centric experience for our tech customers, leveraging backend API integrations, machine learning, artificial intelligence. We can make faster, better decisioning uh, with a crisp, clean, frictionless, intuitive front-end experience and, and partner with the traditional offline banks to give access to those same financial products that you would get by parking your money with JP Morgan Chase directly. So then let's, let's talk about now that, uh, that we're talking about, you know, JP Morgan, you know, it just came to mind, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, right? So, I mean, what an absolute craziness, you know, that that situation created for the entire ecosystem and the level of uncertainty, just say, just, uh, just, just crazy. So, I guess, you know, what happened there, I think that it has definitely helped you guys quite a bit, no, to like, uh, to, to, to grow. So, so what happened there and how has, you know, that, that, that situation or the, or the events that have unfolded from that really impacted the growth of, of your guys' business? Yeah, it's a great question. First and foremost, I have a lot of close friends, professional acquaintances, people that I respect and admire who were impacted by SVB, who worked at SVB, who I can, who I remain close with to this day, and it's really a tragedy what happened um, at the bank and at the time. Arc was on the front lines when the startup banking world imploded. Uh, we were the crew on the ship deck, helping load passengers into the lifeboats. Um, 
as they were trying to flee when the Titanic hit the iceberg, right? So we were there with a frictionless onboarding experience, helping customers move cash out of Silicon Valley Bank while their VC funds are screaming at them, telling them to, to get out, to escape. The level of panic and hysteria in the, mar- in the, in the market, is unfor- it was unforgettable. Um, and ARC was positioned, uh, was very uniquely positioned with a fast onboarding experience to spin up FDIC insured bank accounts outside of SVB in a matter of minutes. And yeah, we had, um, we, we experienced explosive step function growth in terms of uh, new logos, in terms of bank deposits, in terms of new loan uh, customers. The business up-leveled on an order of magnitude of you know three to to five x, and our, our pipeline is 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 twenty x what it was uh, uh, two months ago. And so we're now in a in a position uh, where Arc is a central feature in the in the startup banking ecosystem, and I'm fortunate that we could be in the right place uh, to help so many companies uh, weather the storm. I mean that's that's incredible. Like twenty x the pipeline. I mean the 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 growth that you guys are experiencing. You know it's it's tremendous. And I think that you know when you experience or you go through that, it's you can also die from being too successful. So what are some of the steps, or how do you guys think about this from a strategic lens? And I'm sure that your experience at BCG comes very handy to execute here. Yeah. So I had a key decision to make at the time when. On, on Wednesday night, when SVB stock started to plummet in the aftermarkets, and I saw the writing on the wall, we knew that uh, that outflows would be significant the following day. Uh, I started receiving texts the following morning at 6 a.m. from founders and CEOs panicked. Uh, their VCs were pushing them to move all of their funds out of SVB that day. Um, and we had a decision to make. The product was. 90% of the way there uh, in terms of meeting the ask of the, the customer. Uh, and we, were, we had a GA prepared uh, to go live a month and a half later. And I made the decision to flip the switch. We're going live today. Uh, we spun up marketing collateral. Uh, we spun up a 10-minute onboarding flow. And we took every team member who was not writing code to ship the features that were necessary to protect with 100% certainty customers' funds. Anyone who wasn't engineering, uh, who wasn't writing, writing the code required to meet the ask of our customers was on the phone with customers, helping them onboard into ARC, helping them uh, move their funds out of SVB or FRB or whoever, whoever the, the, the offline bank was that was potentially going to be impacted by the crisis and move those funds into a safe haven with ARC, into an FDIC, SIPC, or government-backed account. That decision uh, ended up paying huge dividends for our business. And the team at ARC really rose to the occasion. They stepped up. They worked around the clock. I don't think the team slept for, for two weeks because the momentum really didn't, really didn't die for another 10 business days. And um, I'm really proud of the team for, uh, for rising to the occasion and helping so many of our, our prospects, our customers, other founders uh, who were in need of our services at the time. That's amazing. Now, imagine, Don, because obviously it sounds like the the future, you know, or the strategic roadmap that you guys had, you know, put, you know, into the future, you know, it sounds like, you know, you have achieved the, 
like with 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 high flying colors already well, you maybe you were projecting to achieve maybe in a, in a few years with all this craziness that has happened so i th- i think as we're speaking about or thinking about the future thinking about vision as well imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight don and you wake up in a world where the vision of arc is fully realized what does that world look like arc is a publicly traded company alongside jp morgan chase and wells fargo we're banking uh, and lending to the largest tech companies in the world, but we haven't neglected uh, the startups who are who are just uh, who are just stepping in uh, to their uh, to the ecosystem. We're working with companies of all stages, and our software allows us to do that. Um, we have a frictionless user experience paired with uh, a hands-on white glove customer service, a team of relationship managers who can work with you if you want to get on the phone with someone. Um, that that intersection of Wall Street and Silicon Valley is what's missing today in the banking world, in traditional financial institutions. Uh, ARC will provide a broad suite of credit products from revolving credit facilities to term loans uh, to revenue-based financing, which is our core product today alongside an institutional grade uh, cash management platform, where we're actually passing back 100% of the value to our users, uh, ensuring that they are maximizing yield on their idle cash to, uh, to use for working capital, to use for payroll, to extend runway, um, while also protecting those funds, partnering with a broad network of offline banks uh, to insulate cash across dozens of FDIC-insured bank accounts at regional banks and large national banks. My God, Don, that, that sounds beautiful. And the level of detail that you provide, I, I can't even touch it. It's incredible, eh? incredible. Now, now we're talking about here about the future and the vision. I want to talk about the past, but doing it with a lens of reflection. So let's say I'm putting you into a time machine now, Don, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm bringing you back in time, bringing you back in time to that moment where you were, you know, in Stanford, uh, and uh, you are now brainstorming with your co-founders, you know, what could be that solution that you could bring into a problem that you guys were envisioning. Obviously, you know, this led to work. But let's say you are able to sit your younger self there and you're able to give your younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Don't give up. Perseverance, persistence, it's everything in entrepreneurship. Uh, you're going to hear 99 no's before one yes. But if you stay true to your vision and you listen to your customers, your customers only, not your investors, your customers, you talk to your customers, you build for them. You don't build for your equity investors or for your credit investors. If you stay true to your vision, you find the fast moving waters informed by your customers. So you might make slight deviations along the way but the overarching thesis remains the same, you will succeed. And you might have 99 investors who don't see that vision along the way. For that one investor, that NFX, that left lane, uh, that Adelia, who understands and appreciates uh, what you're doing and the problem that you're solving. And if you stay focused on the customer and you persevere, uh, you will succeed over time through hard work uh, and persistence. I love it. So, Don, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, join ARC. You can follow us on 
LinkedIn. It's where we post most of our new content and, and products. And then you can uh, research us on our website at arc.tech. Amazing. Well, hey, Don, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.